So the reading is from Luke 10, starting at verse 25, and if you want to find it in the Church Bibles, it's on page 1042. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of all his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which three of these, or which of these three, do you think was neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. My wife's given me a clock, which is just a hint that nobody else has given me a clock, just my wife. Not saying anything? Father, we just thank you for this um, incredibly familiar story, but one that is so rich and so deep and carries so much meaning for us at this time in this season when there are so many needs, when there are so many calls on our attention, so many things that affect us, so many ways that we're called to have compassion, and it can be a bit overwhelming. And so, Father, we trust that you will speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Every two or three months, Carl sends out an email with uh, a list of services 
And um, I don't know if anybody else is like me, but I tend to flick through the list to see where, where if I'm on it, and um, if I am, if I'm leading a service or if I'm preaching. And then I go and, and look up, if there's a, a verse that I'm asked to preach on, go and, and look it up and see, A, is it something that I'm really excited about preaching on, or is it one that's a little bit challenging? I, I know I'm going to have to do quite a bit of digging and research. Or very, very occasionally, um, one that is really speaks to me very personally. And this verse, this chapter, was one that speaks to me very personally. And times I've had with the Lord, having quiet times, often I've found him taking me back to this story and bringing out something fresh from it. Um, And it says it's a very familiar story. So let's jump straight in. And the context is... uh, a teacher of the law, an expert in the law, coming to Jesus to test him. Maybe test him for his orthodoxy, test him up against his standard of the law, against Jesus' standard. We don't know. And then they have a conversation. And the conversation ends um, with the teacher of the law asking the question, well, who is my neighbor? With that little words in there saying, to justify himself. And again, we don't really know what he meant by that. But to justify himself, he asks, well, who is my neighbor? Maybe to justify his own prejudices or his own desire not to be active in helping other people. We don't know. And then Jesus tells this story, very familiar story. A man is walking down the road on a journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. And somewhere along that road, uh, he's ambushed by a group of robbers who steal all his possessions, beat him really badly, and strip him naked. And so the man is lying half dead, it says, on the side of the road. And then two people who the listeners would think, well, these are the people who are most likely to help come along. First one is a priest. Priest walking along, and it's, the Bible says he looked and looked away and didn't cross the road. Maybe he pretended there was somebody in the distance that he recognized. And, he, and then a Levite comes along. Again, somebody you'd, you'd expect to be a compassionate helper. And he looks at the man and looks away, and suddenly there's something really interesting on his phone. Well, of course not, but don't we do that sometimes? We're feeling a bit insecure. I know, don't you? And I, suddenly there's something really interesting on my phone that I need to look at. And then the story takes a really unexpected and controversial twist, as Jesus tells it, that a Samaritan man, the hated enemy of the Jews, who worshipped in a different place and had polluted the scriptures, according to the Jews, he walks along the road and he looks at the man on the side And he looks and doesn't look away. And he crosses the road and he says, the Bible says, he has pity on the man. Now, if you just want to put out that first slide, Paul. Because that word pity in the Greek is a really interesting one. A beautiful one. The Greek word is splang nidzomahi. Splang nidzomahi. Do you want to say that together? Splank, nid, zom, ahi. Splank, nid, 
zom ahi. Splank nid zom ahi. Nobody's brave enough to say that. But, uh, <laughs> if you say it fast enough, it sounds like you're sneezing. Splank nid zom ahi. And literally that means to be moved with deep compassion to be moved in the inward parts. And in Jewish culture, the inward parts were the seat of the emotions. So it's not just, uh, pity maybe isn't a great translation of that word, because the word is much stronger than that. It's to be moved in your inward parts with a deep compassion that causes you to take part, that causes you to enter into someone else's story, someone else's suffering, um, and to, pity leaves you in a place where you can be pitiful and actually do nothing to help them. But this is stronger than that. And this word occurs four other times in the New Testament. Um, maybe in others as well, but there's four particularly in, in the um, Gospels where it occurs. Uh, in, and I think they're listed there as well. In Matthew 9, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching, preaching, and healing. And when he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion. Same word again, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So looking at the crowd woke up something in Jesus or released something in Jesus of his deep compassion for people who were shepherdless, harassed and helpless. And then in, in Matthew 20, two, men, two blind men are sitting by the side of the road and they hear that Jesus is passing and they cry out in a loud voice, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the other people say, shh, be quiet. Stop being an embarrassment. And I love this because they shout even louder. Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stops, looks at them and calls them to himself. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? Why are you shouting out? And they said, Lord, we answered, we want our sight. And the next verse is, Jesus had compassion on them. Jesus had splang nidzomahi. And he touched their eyes and immediately they received their sight. Another story in Luke 7. Jesus is going with his disciples to the town of Nain. And as he's walking towards the city gate, there's a funeral procession walking through the city gates. And at the head of the procession is a widow who's obviously grieving um, the loss of her only son. And it says, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. He had deep compassion for her. And it's that same word again, splang nidzomahi. And he says, do not weep. Then he went and touched the coffin, the funeral buyer. And they all stood still. And he spoke, young man, I tell you, get up. And the dead man sat up and spoke. And he gave him back to his mother. So a completely different situation where the compassion of Jesus arose. The compassion for a mother, a widow who'd lost her only son. And then, and then a parable. 
the, the very famous parable of the prodigal son. Luke 15, the father who's waiting, watching every day for his wayward son who's taken the inheritance and has gone away. And it says, while he was still, while the son was still a long way off, the father saw him and he was filled with compassion. Splangnidzomahi. A deep, gut-wrenching compassion that forced him to pick up his robes and run to the son and throw his arm around him and embrace him. And so all these different stories, they all carry something slightly different. Shepherdless, harassed crowds, blind men crying out for mercy, a bereaved, grieving mother grieving her only son, a returning, broken prodigal son being grieved by his father. And then this story in Luke 10 of an unexpected stranger seeing a man who's been beaten on the side of the road and something of God's compassion waking up in him. And these stories are all linked by, I don't know if you caught it, even when Liz read it, they're all linked by, first of all, there is a look. Jesus looked at the crowds. Jesus looked at the blind men. The father was looking for the son, watching and waiting, and when he saw him. So there's something in us that when we look with intention that God's compassion is able to wake up. And, and I recognize there's a cost to that. There's a cost to be involved and engaged in the world when so many things are going on. Because to look and have compassion will cost us something in terms of our being involved. Oh, I've lost my words. Of us being impacted. And ultimately, us being affected by the things, whether it's the things on, that we see on the news, whether it's the news coming out of sub-Saharan Africa or out of the, the war in Ukraine, whether it's you talking to your, a friend or a neighbor or hearing somebody just locally who's in, you know, real turmoil, um, or whether we care for people and um, maybe a relative or a spouse whether we teach in a school, whether we're part of the caring professions. To be involved means that it costs us something that we engage and we are affected. And it can make us feel overwhelmed. It can make us feel weary. I, I went to a, a course in, in France in, in March and we were talking about some of the situations that we'd come from. And, and one of the girls there was the head of an NGO that had been working in Africa. The NGO had been working in Afghanistan. And she was the leader of it at the time of that 72 hours when people um, were desperate to get out of Afghanistan, particularly uh, Christians or ones who'd been working with, the, um, with our soldiers. Um, and she was receiving around about 100 emails a day of people pleading with her, can you please help us? Can you please get us out of this situation? And she was completely powerless. And she felt overwhelmed. At the end of the day, she would get to the end of the day, she felt completely overwhelmed. And we can feel overwhelmed by the things going on in the world. And in some way, we can 
just carry on. Carry on being compassionate, but doing it out of our own strength. The thing is, the Bible says burn brightly. It doesn't say burn out. God wants to resource us so that we burn brightly, not that we just burn out. And then the opposite extreme is that we start to shut down emotionally. Stop watching, stop listening, stop hearing. As a form of self-protection, but what it can lead to is that we, our hearts start to become hardened. And both of those extremes aren't very helpful for us or for others because I think all of us, we have a, a desire in us to be the compassionate ones, the ones who are represented of the compassionate king of heaven to be the hands and feet of Jesus to a broken world. I'm sure we all carry that desire. And some, that's more of a calling for us than others. But there seems to be a better way when we are overwhelmed by the news or, by, or, or holding other people in our prayers. And that's to share it with other people, absolutely. But also to take it to the Father and pour out our heart to him. And start to worship him irrespective of how we feel and how overwhelmed we feel. And then to hear, and I heard this lovely phrase this week from um, a guy that we've been doing a course with, which is to start to tap into the conversation that's going on in heaven about the thing that we're burdened for. And I think that's a, a lovely phrase to start to understand what God is saying, how God sees Afghanistan how God sees our neighbors. And let that resource us. And so going back to the story, because I've gone off the track a bit. <laughs> the Samaritan crosses the road, and he takes, as he's grieving and compassionate for this man, he takes out a wine that's in his satchel, which is deeply symbolic, and pours that onto the man's wounds. The wine that symbolizes forgiveness, healing, the blood of Jesus. And he also takes out a flask of oil, olive oil, which is the anointing of the Spirit, symbolizing power, healing, anointing. And he pours that on the man's wounds. And then it says he bandages his wounds. So I don't imagine the Samaritan was walking on the road with a satchel full of bandages. He would have taken his own garment, his own cloak, ripped them up and bandaged the wounds of the man. And then he lifts the man up and places them on his donkey, takes them to an inn, cares for him, spends time with him. And then he gives generously to the innkeeper to keep his care going. And then he promises, I will return and I'll pay anything that's still owing to me. Now, if you hear that, you can't really ignore the fact that he's not just talking about a Samaritan man. He's talking about the unexpected stranger who comes into our life, who is Jesus himself, who pours the wine on our wounds, who weeps with compassion over us, who gives us the oil of his anointing for intimacy and power, who spends time with us, who lifts us up who promises to return. I will come again and make all things right. And so for all of us who are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world, 
Our primary first calling is that we come and rest and receive and become out of his compassion for us. That we are able to receive for ourselves, first of all, before we give it to others, which is absolutely what we're called to do, to be able to receive the compassionate gaze of Jesus into our life. To become all that he wants us to be, but from a position of being able to rest in our sonship, in our daughtership, and able to receive his healing, his compassion. The first time I think I would have read this story, I would have taken away from it. I must try harder (laughs) to be more compassionate and to reflect the compassion of Jesus to the world. I think I would have read that for a long, long time and would feel slightly guilty that I wasn't doing that. But it doesn't say reflect. Jesus doesn't say reflect. He says, let your light shine. Let your light, the light of the indwelling Christ within us, the light of the Holy Spirit, the light of Jesus and himself in us, shine to a broken world. Let your compassion overflow out of how God in Christ has already ministered to you. And so I just sense as I've been preparing this that celebrating communion today is a very powerful, uh, significant thing for us today. Those of us who are caregivers, those of us who might feel weary and burdened by the things of the world, that we encounter Jesus in the blood shed for us, in the wine of his spirit poured into us for our power and our healing and our intimacy. And as we move into communion, I wonder if we could just close our eyes And just as a sort of prayer experience, and a poor if you've got some music there, we can just imagine that, that we are the ones lying on the side of the road, um, broken and bruised, and longing for somebody to stop and help us. And then an unexpected person comes to us. And as they look on us, there's a look of compassion which looks right into the center of who we are. The gaze of compassion, the gaze of love, the gaze that knows us better than we know ourselves. How do we receive that gaze this morning? The compassion of Jesus for us. And then he takes the flask of oil and and pours it into our wounded places. He takes the wine of his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy, his own blood and pours that into our wounds.
by his stripes we are healed. He ministers deeply to us, to even the deepest places in us. And he lifts us up. He carries us in his arms. He places us on a donkey and takes us to a place of refuge where we spend time, he spends time with us ministering his compassion, his care to us. And he gives generously for our care. promises, I will come back. I will return. And so we are called to be the anointed ones who've been touched by the compassion of the Father. That we can release that compassion to a broken world. But if we just do it with our own human level, we can only take people to that same level. But if we've been ones who've been touched deeply by the compassion of Jesus himself, then there is no limit to what we can offer to a broken world. we celebrate and we receive this gift of God's gift to us of Jesus the bread, the wine the anointing of his spirit waves and waves of his mercy falling on us Waves and waves of his holy gaze coming to us. <laughs> 